Hi, welcome to the podcast. You're listening to episode eight. This is the post-Super Bowl show. I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Adante, over here, my father. Um, hi, Jay. Hi. It's great to have you here. We're missing uh, the lovely Bartek Shuda. He's, uh, uh, I know that he's been particularly busy and not feeling too well uh, as of late, but um, we will try and trudge on in the meantime. Um, as you all know, a big game happened over the weekend um, in the sport of football. And of course, I'm talking about English football because it was Liverpool's 4 nothing route on Southampton. <laughs> Liverpool Football Club! Woo! Yeah! Oh yeah, let's talk it. Let's do it. Well, I know a lot of people in America probably don't follow English League football, but of course, it is the, the most major league uh, of soccer in the world. And uh, but the Liverpool is such a huge story. That's why we have it on here. Uh, so they've played twenty-five games this year in the English Premier League. They've won twenty-four with one draw. So that's just astounding with no losses. And of course, last year, you remember they only had one loss all year in thirty-eight games. They did have seven draws. That cost them the Premier League Championship by one point to Manchester City. But this year, they hold a commanding. 22-point lead over Manchester City, and that is the largest lead for a first-place team in Premier League history. Wow. 22 points. Of course, uh, Liverpool won uh, last Saturday. Manchester City lost to Tottenham, so they picked up another three points at them. So 22-point lead. And as you point out, it wasn't easy. Their game last Saturday was 0-0, as I recall, by halftime. And they were really being played tough. I mean, I know uh, Jurgen Klopp, the coach, was thinking that they were probably going to drop some points, uh, maybe a draw if not a loss. And then, man, it's like the roof caved in <laughs> in the second half. Yeah. No, they – um, yeah, I mean, they turned on the Jets, and I forgot. I mean, it was Firmino, I think, had a – he had a hat trick of assists in that game. Yeah. Um, and then uh, – was it um, – mm. Salah had two goals. Uh, Actually, Chamberlain oh, there had a goal. There it is, Chamberlain. Yeah, and he's. Henderson I think he's had two goal. goals. He's had two had goals goal. in two games now yeah. for Chamberlain. So um, and they, yeah. so they were without Mane, Sadio Mane. They were without him, who's a superstar. Yeah, that's a and, that's pain. And they've still uh, really done well. And the story for Liverpool is, yeah, they they score a decent amount. I think they have the second most goals in the Premier League. But the key to to Liverpool is they don't give up goals, which yeah. is. Very on Liverpool like, you know. If you look at them over the years, last ten years, they've always had a pretty good offense. So they give they give up too much. They they got to a two or three nothing lead, and I've seen them blow it, and they end up tying or losing. But now this year, they've only given up fourteen goals all year in twenty five games, which is just it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it seems it's like a, it seems like some kind of a cheat code on on professional soccer. Well, they um. I'm glad to see that they're still – well, even when they try to focus on only the league, they still can't get kicked out of the FA Cup. Oh, I, that's, that's <laughs> to me, that was even a bigger story, much bigger than their win. You know, we talked on this last podcast. You know, I was just kind of uh, downcast a little bit because Jurgen Klopp had made the decision that he was going to give the players the two-week winter break off so they could recharge, and I think that's great. But because they had to replay this FA Cup game against Shrewsbury on Tuesday night – uh, he was going to play the all under twenty three team, and we just kind of assumed 
they're gone. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're going to lose, and they end up winning one to nothing. <laughs> I mean, True was at an own goal from Shrewsbury, but still, and, and you know, Shrewsbury. I mean, they're only a League One team. Yeah, they're, they're two leagues down, but it's still a high enough level where you're. The average age of that team that beat them was 19 years old. <laughs> So they should have, uh, they really should have won that game. And like I say, some of the players were interviewed on Shrewsbury afterwards and were just, just feeling awful and terrible. And I know one guy said it was, it was the worst he ever felt while on the pitch. <laughs> you know, just losing to that young, young contingent of players. So that, that was huge because yeah. now Liverpool's still in the FA Cup and they still have a chance to win a treble. Meaning the the Champions League, the FA Cup, and of course the Premier League itself. Uh, it'd be huge if they can get a treble. Because right now, I mean, you gotta you gotta make hay while the sun shines. Right now, they're the best team in the world. Yeah. And it's probably not gonna be true next year, or maybe the year after. You know, you gotta go for the gusto while this window is open. And I mean, they're just setting records left and right. And then of course you had to you had to capitalize it with you gotta make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> It's like, how old is that saying? It reminds me of the, I was thinking about a Peyton Manning thing he had said on uh, Peyton's Places where people weren't following his routes and basically he said, I'm a stickler for uh, the specifics and basically said, you know, if I ask you to run a 10 and in, you run a 10, you go 10 and come in. If you run a, if I want you to do a five and out, you do five and out. And then he said, um, he said, if I tell you, if, if I tell you tomorrow's Easter, hide your eggs. <laughs> Basically, you know, if if I tell you to do something, do it, you know. Um, so speaking of the, basically the, the opposite of Liverpool, uh, the, 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 the slightly less reliable Blackhawks, I had on this podcast notes to talk about how wonderful they've been doing. And I'd been really kind of introduced more to the team because I hadn't been following them as much, but they, um, now they've lost three, you know, you know, a couple in overtime, but they've lost three of the last four games. Yeah. You know, um, I still feel the Hawks have a decent chance to make the playoffs. I mean, I really think their, their chance of, of, you know, winning the cup or anything are pretty, pretty much out of it. But I, I think they still have something to fight for. I think they're only a couple of points out, of the last playoff spot and they just have to go for it and, and try to get in. Once you get in, you know, who knows that can, what can happen? Like I said, in early January last year, the St. Louis blues had the worst record in the NHL. Well, they ended up winning the cup. Yeah. Now that's a little different story than I think than the Hawks, but you know, a lot of these young players, I mean, half the team is really young, you know, under 25. They, these guys could really come on at the end and uh, you never know what can happen. But it, you're, you're right. It's a little disconcerting that uh, they, they, they play, played really well last two games against really tough teams. I think Boston has the best record in the NHL, if yeah. I recall. And, you know, they play them basically to a draw, and then you get an overtime and you blow it. You know, it's a little disconcerting. But those were two pretty tough teams. The one before yeah. there was the Wild, also a pretty, pretty tough team. Well, I will say the weirdest thing about some of those games was, uh, I think it was their most recent game I believe the most recent game was kind of a trade-off of scores and they were able to get one near the end to tie it uh, which is kind of on Blackhawks I guess when I was watching those and thinking about it I was thinking you know the typical Hawks thing is to get the lead and then to lose said lead <laughs> yeah, to, to, to end up either tying or just straight up losing 
um, and it being very strange to actually have them trying to trade goals and give themselves a chance late in the game. Um, but they, I've been kind of introduced to some of the players now because I haven't been watching in a while. Yeah. And I figured with the NFL going out, I'd, I'd probably, you know, sneak in and take some looks. Cause I remember when I used to follow them a lot closer, but, um, yeah, they do have what seems like a, you know, a young and prospectful team where, you know, like you said, they, they could really, things could really turn for them, you know, in a positive direction. You just hope that it kind of sticks with that, but they've got some, um, their offense and mid play seems pretty strong, but sometimes their defense can be kind of, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, yeah. two on, you know, it's two on twos, but it feels like a two on one. Yeah. Odd, odd man the, rushes. Yeah. Three on twos. Two well, it's on not, ones. well, it's not an actual odd man rush. It just feels like <laughs> one based on how the Hawks are playing it. <laughs> Or there's a guy, or there's a guy who should have been playing defense, and he's now chasing a guy from behind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's now a breakaway. Yeah, that's probably true. But I, the thing with the Hawks is that, uh, on the positive note, they've been getting really good, pretty good goaltending all year, especially given the fact that the defense has been kind of shoddy here and there, uh, and because they've had all, the other teams, they've had a lot of really prime scoring chances. So the goaltending's been pretty good. I know Leonard, even in a losing effort in overtime, uh, was really good against Boston yesterday. Wasn't the uh, uh, the one? Um, wasn't the one before that? Was Crawford goaltending in that one when they had the overtime loss? Yeah, uh, you know, I missed the I missed the wild game, so I'm not 100 percent sure. It was either that one or the one before that, or the Coyote the, the, game. But I know he the was, Coyote game. Crawford they won. And Crawford was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. I think the first. And early in the first period, he had already saved like nine shots or yeah. some insane amount of shots because the defense just kept hosing yeah, them out. Here, here's the thing is that, to your point, is that when you, if you look at the stats, the goalie stats, like what's their save percentage and you know how many shutouts that they have or what's their goals against the average, I mean, it looks good, but not really spectacular for the Hawks. But you kind of have to temper that because those goalies have been playing pretty much, with rare exception, maybe playing pretty much lights out because the defense has been faltering. I give up a lot of great scoring chances, the defense. And as you point, a lot of odd man rushes, a lot of seemingly odd man rushes. Uh, the goalies have really been uh, standing tall, even though there have been a lot of great A chances against them. And the offense has been okay. Not great, but it's been okay. But they seem like they've been having, they, they seem to be having some pretty good play once they get, once they get in the zone, they've been playing some pretty good all around. And obviously, I, I I'll tell you, it really feels like Kane never loses any steps. I'll say that. You know, a lot of people keep underestimating that speed and underestimating his uh, maneuverability and everything. And uh, and and that, you know, I can call him a kid, I guess, because he's, he's younger <laughs> than me. But you know, but but he gets he tends to get a lot of stuff done, and it's kind of it's it's still a complete joy to watch him play. Yeah, he is not necessarily really big in terms of physical gifts. I mean, he has decent speed and everything, but but his his main thing is he's just an extraordinarily smart and instinctive player. He's always seemingly in the right place at the right time. He gets a lot of takeaways. Uh, he he sees everything on the ice. His passing is is just incredible. He sees everybody. Uh, so he's not just yeah he's not just a goal scorer. Of course he gets way more assists than goals like most players. But but uh, you know the one thing that's always been um, the bugaboo about him is his defensive play. But I think that's improved in recent years. Yeah. 
And yeah, he's never going to be one of these guys who puts a big check against somebody against the boards or something. But but he's uh, he uh, does a lot of good uh, you know blocking shots and stealing the puck and so forth. So he's yeah, he's definitely a big superstar. Now we just have to get these other guys rolling. Uh, some yeah. of them have been coming on lately, like Brandon Saad and, and some of these younger players oh, have been coming on lately. <clears throat> the, uh, yeah, I mean, Saad's had some pretty hot games lately. I know uh, it was either the Coyote game or the game before that. I started seeing a lot more production from uh, Gustafsson or Nylander or uh, or Doc or anything. A lot of these guys who've actually been... Yeah, Dylan Strom, the, another they, one. There you go. Yeah, most of the ones on the mostly offensive end, although I saw... Um, the Brinkett actually scored, I think, yesterday. So, hmm. so he's uh, he's a little bit, you know, behind his pace. Of course, he got forty over forty goals last year. He's not going to do that this year. So, but hopefully, it's just an off year. But you get him rolling, get Tage rolling. If you can get some of these guys rolling again, I think it's possible. Uh, like I said, they should be at least make the playoffs. They should have a good chance given the, the goaltending they've been getting. Uh, there, there's really no reason why they can't at least. You know, I mean, they take sixteen teams in the playoffs. You know, eight in each conference. So. <laughs> There's really no reason why you can't be one of those teams. There's, not many, there's not many teams that don't make the playoffs, frankly, in the NHL. Well, the last game I was able to like more comprehensively dig into was the the Phoenix game, which brings back some <laughs> some sad memories because I saw uh, Jalmerson is over on Phoenix now, and that's I used to love Jalmerson oh, back God, in the day. They must have at least six, seven players from the Hawks that are on Phoenix well, now. Every time well, I tr- every time I was turning around watching that game, it was a hawk had the puck, you know, yeah. for the Coyotes. Well, there was um, there was one moment in the in the announcing when they were talking about it, and all of a sudden I heard um, I heard uh, Hinnestroza. Yeah, and all Benny. I could, yeah, so um, one of my one of my cousin's friends is actually on. He was on the Hawks for a time, and now he's. He's on a Phoenix, and the only thing I can think about is how he blind checked me one time in a video game. His <laughs> his AI character checked me without me. I used to be I my guy turned into kind of a hitter and would just take anybody out at any time. And basically, I suddenly got knocked down by somebody, just just blown up when going in the zone. And I saw Hinnestroza underneath the player, <laughs> and I go, "Oh, I'm coming for you!" And then he ran, he he skated off to the bench, and I was like, Tarr! "I had to try and line up his yeah, shifts with mine." Yeah, well, you can't you can't hold that against Vinny. Though. I mean, that, that's a that's a video game character. <laughs> I just thought it was fun. Um, no, it was interesting, as you point out, though, because there, there literally there are at least six, seven yeah. ex Blackhawks on that team, and so I mean, it's literally like. 40% of their team is ex-Blackhawks or 35%. And it was bizarre. Every time they had the puck, it was a black, an ex-Blackhawk was doing something with the puck for for the Coyotes. But the Hawks did play very well, and they won. Uh, so like I say, I, I, would, yeah. I would still, you know, stay positive. I think they have a really good chance to get in the playoffs, but they're going to have to really struggle until they get every everything clicking, especially with the young players now. Well, yeah. No, it's you know it's they they kind of have slowly fallen off since their uh, you know early tens kind of championship runs and everything. But it's kind of nice to still see that they clearly it's a team with talent. It's just you need to they need to be out the output needs to be more consistent and needs to be you know like you said you just gotta kind of get people going. And once you get them going, then 
everything should kind of fall in place from there. Um, I agree. I think it's in this gap, you know, you were mentioning last time about the podcast that on the podcast that there's going to be this gap. Now football's over. We got a while for baseball to start, but you do have hockey. Of course we got basketball too, college and pro, but you know, hockey I think is hopefully if the Hawks can stay in it, at least it'll keep some interest and uh, it'll fill in that gap. Yeah. The, um, yeah, no, it's always nice to have something to have something around to to kind of keep your focus on and stay sports related. And obviously, hockey is hockey is very entertaining to watch. I mean, you, like you point out, you remember in twenty ten, twenty thirteen, twenty fifteen when the Hawks actually won the cup. I mean, you yeah. got you got to admit. I mean, those are like some of the most for Chicago, and that was some of the most exciting sports moments ever. Oh yeah, I mean, I remember in twenty twenty thirteen, I believe when I mean, I think they. They win it in 13, correct? It was, that that was the was, middle of the year they won it. It was yeah. the year my oldest was born, <clears throat> and uh, one of their big games they had in that playoff series was actually on the day she was born. And I remember being up late watching that. It was like a triple overtime or something like that. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, when, the, when they're when they're playing decent hockey, like it's, it's good to watch. There's a lot of excitement. I mean, uh, I remember the three goals. Was that was it two goals in in a minute? No, and two, some, well, it was two, two goals in seventeen seconds. Two goals in seventeen seconds against Boston. Yeah, and the game six, the final game of the twenty thirteen playoffs, and uh, yeah. But Chicago was a huge hockey town. I mean, it's mainly a football yeah. town, but but a ton it of helps. Well, it helps when you're in it from the from the beginning. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's true. But it is a big hockey town. I mean, when the Hawks won those cups, and they'd have the parade and the rally. I think they estimated they had like a million people there in each case, yep. uh, down the parade route and everything. So it's what well, it is nice when you win a when you win a championship in something, and the city's not divided. And especially like even when you talk about football, when there's a lot of Packers fans in the Chicagoland area, the there same are. cannot be said for hockey fans of other towns in Chicago, really. You're not going to be like, oh, yeah, Minnesota Wild fans around here. They really cut the numbers down, you know. <laughs> At least everybody's Hawk fans, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, really, obviously, the only sport you have that's that's truly divided is baseball because you have the Cubs and the Sox. But, you know, when the Cubs won the World Series, and depending on who was given the estimates, I mean, they still had somewhere between 2 and $5 million along the parade route. I mean, yeah. it still was a big, massive uh, showing up, so... But it's going to be interesting without going too far afield. It's going to be interesting to see because the Cubs definitely, uh, much I, I love the Cubs, but definitely they're in a downward uh, trend right now and probably irreversible in the short term. Uh, whereas the Sox are on a big upswing. So, you know, watch out for the Sox this yeah. year. Have a good chance, I think, to make the playoffs uh, maybe uh, two years from now, maybe World Series. We'll have to see. Well, if you're looking, if you're looking for baseball predictions, I would definitely recommend that you listen to Listen to my dad on this on this one because <laughs> you can probably take that one to the bank probably with the Sox finally kind of picking up a little. Yeah, it's really not guaranteed, but I mean, my goodness, they have got so many uh, good-looking young players, and now they've got most of them have got a year or two under their belt. They've got a couple of their big starting pitchers that were on the disabled list are coming back this year. Uh, they picked up Dallas Keuchel as a free agent. Uh, I it just Man, there's no reason really why they shouldn't at least make the playoffs this year. Where I think the Cubs are going to struggle, 
Um, the players, like I say, the big surprise to me without beating a dead horse is that when they won the World Series in 2016, they had all these players that were under 25, and you're thinking, my goodness, they're going to dominate for the next five, six years. And it really hasn't happened because with the exception of Baez, who, who did improve quite a bit, Javier Baez, but with that exception, no one else really got any better. Most of them got worse. Yeah. And I don't think anybody really foresaw that happening. That, that, that And, of course, they lost a lot of pitchers and so forth. So yeah. the Cubs are kind of in this downward spiral, and they didn't add anything. I mean, they had a golden opportunity to add Castellanos, uh, who they had for the last two months. They didn't do it because they're terrified of having to pay the luxury tax. So now all of a sudden, you know, you're basically uh, you have the same team as last year and probably worse team than last year because they got a whole bunch of new young players on there that are un- untested. So it's going to be an interesting season. But if you're a Cub fan, uh, I much as I, I love the Cubs, I hope they do well, but I... I they have a lot of questions coming into this season that it doesn't look good. Well, do you have a uh, do you have any more uh, any more Chicago analysis here before we move on to uh, to I guess what other people would want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, why don't we head into the Super Bowl here? All right. Well, uh, the you know the other big game we had this weekend, of course, is the Super Bowl. Uh, Chiefs take down the 49ers 31 to 20. Patrick Mahomes 286 yards, two touchdowns. Garoppolo with 219 and a touchdown. And uh 104 yards on the ground for Damian Williams. Two touchdowns, one rushing and one receiving. Tyreek Hill had over 100 yards receiving and Sammy almost got to 100. Um I think of the three predictions, I think I was the closest to the score if I if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean you got it right. I mean you picked the Chiefs and we had picked San Francisco and I I, I, and I think this, and I think the score was even I think it was I had 34-24 or something like that. Yeah, I, I think you had the score the closest. I I got to tell you I after, yeah, grandpa, after grandpa got the 49ers score right though. <laughs> well, it was just the wrong way. One out of two is not bad. It's just the wrong way. No, I have to tell you, after three quarters, uh, 49, going into the fourth quarter, 49ers, of course, were up 20 to 10. I was feeling pretty good about my prediction as far as who's going to win, at least. And, of and, course, I was sitting there thinking about what a terrible Super Bowl this is. <laughs> and, I, and I will tell you, yeah, it's certainly a, a testament to the Chiefs' offense that they, they got those three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. You know, Mahomes was great. Uh, Williams was great. Not take anything away from them, but both the offense and the defense for the 49ers, they really just went full turtle up in the fourth quarter. I mean, the defense played very soft, allowing all kinds of passes, especially short passes, up to almost a prevent defense, and uh, which was terrible. You know, I I, I can never figure this out. I mean, for three quarters, and and, and granted, San Francisco kind of lucked out because first three quarters, Mahomes was probably a little bit off compared to his normal like godlike quality but they're up 20 to 10 defense is looking magnificent and then all of a sudden they changed and yeah. they played soft and were allowing all this upfront passing and uh, even some runs you know that that long run that williams did it was a nice run but I mean, there's, there's no excuse for that because at that point in the game you you're 100 percent sure you know they're gonna run and you can run up the middle well you know you just you let to, them get by for a 40-yard touchdown yeah. anyway you just have to prevent them from getting a first down which he did. They let him score. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get a first down. He got a touchdown. 
Well, although it may not technically have been a prevent defense, but I, it, it, it felt like one. It felt like one, and it kind of gets back to the old and saying. And it prevented them from winning. <laughs> I'll prevent defense. All it does is prevent you from winning. <laughs> and But the offense was, was, was terrible, too. The offense had been pretty effective. Uh, you know, not groundbreaking, but they were well, pretty I mean, effective thought, the first three quarters. And yeah. in the fourth quarter, they did nothing. Well, and I thought uh, that first drive, right when they came out of the, right when they came out, um, or their first drive of offense, I guess I should say, because the Chiefs had the ball first, correct? Chiefs had the ball and they did a three and out, yeah. And then the 49ers marched down for a field goal. Um, so when they had that first set of downs for the 49ers uh, I saw some of those end arounds with Debo like Debo yeah. Samuel getting some running and, and I was worried I thought the game was over I figured if they're not going to stop Samuel he's just going to do that every single you know he got a couple of those where he busted out for some you know reasonable runs he he ended up with almost more rushing yards than Mostert did throughout the game so you know I, I was completely terrified by that but they definitely didn't lean on their running game quite as much as they no, had prior. no, they didn't lean on the running game that much, and I, I tell you where they, they didn't really didn't lean on their passing game either. <laughs> yeah, where they really blew it is, is that it, it's obvious, especially when they got the lead, twenty to ten. They were thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to do the same thing we did against Minnesota and do all this, or Green Bay and do all this running, and they kind of abandoned the pass, and they really tremendously underutilized George Kittle. I, I really do not understand that at all. I mean, somebody's got to be taken to the woodshed for that. And they haven't showed it on the, a lot of these replays where uh, they weren't throwing it to Kittle and he was wide open up the middle. Yeah. He got 10, 15, 20 yards. And well, he would have had at least one big play had, if he didn't do some pushing. Well, that's another thing, too. I mean, I saw in the news that uh, Jerry Rice was all upset with the officiating, and that was one of the plays that he was, I think it was like three different plays he was pointing out, but that was the big one. There may be a bias there. And I'll say a slight bias. I think that it's one of those things where it's, Technically, in the eyes of the law, it's technically it was pass interference because he extended his arm out. But I wasn't arguing. Let's just let's just no, say that no, I was but, not but arguing. But I'm just saying that. that this kind of illustrates too how hard it is to call pass interference. Only what a couple of weeks before, I mean, he had the same thing happen, the same exact play happen uh, in the Minnesota game. The Minnesota tight end did the same exact thing, extending his arm and caught the game-winning touchdown in overtime against the Saints. You know, so they could advance to to play the 49ers. So it was a couple, uh, three weeks ago. Well, so so if you're an official, it's so hard. You got 22 guys running around like crazy men, hitting each other and grabbing each other, and it's just so hard to to be an official in the NFL. And there's always going to be some human judgment involved, no matter how you try to codify the rules. And it's just kind of unfortunate that yeah. a big play like that happened in the Super Bowl and was well, and pr- I, pretty ticky tacky. I was gonna say, well, and I was gonna say, deep, I mean, deep down, it doesn't. I didn't feel too poorly about the officiating. I think they they were hands off for a lot of Taking things. Taking as a whole, they, I, I thought the officiating you know, was good, and so it I was guess, obvious they wanted to let them play. Yeah, I mean, Kittle Kittle ended that game with thirty six yards on on four receptions. Yeah, and I see that's criminal. He he has to get a hundred yards. 90, 100 yards. Well, but you get to that point where you look at the receivers, and I mean, their their highest rated receiver is Kendrick Bourne with 42 yards. I mean, the Chiefs had two guys, one that cleared 100 and one that almost had 100. You know, I get it that Kansas City was number one in guarding wide receivers for the year. You you pointed that out in some of the stats last time. But there's just no excuse for... Uh, Probably the best tight end in the league, if if not number one, number two, getting forty some forty yards. 
Uh, they just dramatically underused him. And, and the quarterback, he's got to take some blame. Garoppolo, uh, I'm, I know Grandpa was really high on him last week because <laughs> he's an Italian-American and he's uh, uh, from here. He's from Arlington Heights and started at Eastern Illinois University. Great. Did, did Grandpa actually know all of those things? No. <laughs> but anyway, the Garoppolo... Uh, it's hard to say he didn't play a horrible game. I mean, if you look at his stats, he had a decent completion percentage, not many yards, but but just I, there were so many missed opportunities out there. There were so many times where, like, like that first drive you mentioned, that they settled for a field goal. They really should have, you know, if they were more aggressive, they should have gone for a touchdown. Uh, they blew a chance at a field goal on that pass interference. But there were just several times where I, they didn't push the envelope enough on offense, and part of the reason was they had that 20-10 to 10 lead and they're relying on their defense. But that's that's silly. You know, when you, when you have an offense like Kansas City, I don't care, even if you have a good defense like the 49ers, you, if you're the offense, you got to play to win. you got to be aggressive. you got to try to get that lead. I mean, you need about a 40-10 to 10 lead against Kansas City. And, that, and obviously, you saw, I mean, it... Kansas City was down what twenty four to nothing in that one playoff game against the Texans, and they still won by twenty. So <laughs> I, I feel the whole philosophy was bad coaching. I thought I don't know about Shanahan personally, but it was just bad coaching. They weren't aggressive enough, didn't build that lead up enough, and just were relying on their defense to hold on to the game. That just that's just bad strategy. In yeah, my, in my opinion. I mean, both tight ends. I mean, including Kelsey. Kelsey had a pretty low key game, other than the touchdown, obviously, which was kind of. Uh, a close play near the end there um but 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 you know so he only had about 40 something yards i forgot the total but i mean six receptions 40 something yards so pretty similar to kittle but i mean yeah i mean the the offensive production is definitely where that game kind of came down to and obviously san francisco just they came in with a lot and it just didn't really pan out fully. They yeah, didn't play. It, it I, feel, I feel like they, you know, I hate to sound too cliche, but it's, you know, you don't play 60 minutes. So it's, well, exactly. And that's what happens. You're exactly right, Jay. And it's not like they couldn't do it. I mean, they moved the ball pretty consistently. But like I said, yeah. they kept settling either for field goals when they may, could have got touchdowns if they were more aggressive. Um, I, their third their third down play calling was extremely passive. And then when they got to the fourth quarter, it was like they were just trying to sit on the lead, and then all of a sudden it got away from them, and then they didn't know what to do, and they panicked and couldn't do anything right. Oh, feel who I feel bad for, I guess. You know, Robbie Gold just can't, he can't escape. It's, every time he ends up in a Super Bowl, it has to, it ends up going down the toilet for him, no matter what team he does it with. Well, at least he's been in two Super Bowls, I can say that. <laughs> You know, this thing, I know that there's no theoretical reason for this or no factual basis, but at least in recent years, it seems that this has been a trend specifically of the NFC. The NFC teams in the Super Bowl is they're either close or they've got a lead, and then they blow it, you know, in the fourth quarter. And obviously it's there's no theoretical reason why it should affect one conference or another, but... For whatever reason, that just seems to be happening. Uh, obviously, the the biggest one being the Atlanta debacle against the the Patriots. You know, the Rams you know, totally befuddled against uh, New England last year. I think the only one in recent ones you the, can really uh, point Seattle, to is the, is the, the Eagles. S- That's about the only one you can point to that yeah. breaks the trend of it. Yeah, the Eagles are the only ones that were the opposite. They they actually t- took the lead. But even Seattle years ago, when they yeah. tried that silly pass at the end of the game, 
from yeah. the one yard line. Uh, these NFC teams in these last five years have really been creative, trying to find ways to to blow games that they really should have won, or in some cases, you know, had it in the bag. I mean, both the 49ers in Atlanta had those, those games were in the bag. I mean, they were killing their opponent. Well, I think every once in a while, like some of these games, like I wonder if some of this subconsciously kind of goes back to playing, uh, you know, before before the merger when you think about uh, AFL, NFL kind of games. And obviously how NFL at some point was trying to compete more with the rising AFL and kind of that long ball game and playing super offense, you know, which obviously now when you look at things like Lamar Jackson or you look at Mahomes and all these people in the AFL, you have a lot more kind of, I want to say exciting offense still playing out in the, in the AFC. Um, you know, you always wonder sometimes if strategically some of that sort of ground pound and hold the clock kind of thing like that can be defeated pretty quickly by somebody like Mahomes. Well, I um, I think what you say was definitely true in the early days of the yeah. merger. I mean, so, now I, I mean, and when I say I say it subconsciously, I mean the reality is it's just built up of the, you know what the team does, you know, kind of thing. I'm not saying anyone's like out there really truly being affected by it, but it's just maybe a subconscious thing because it seems like other than the Eagles I keep thinking about these I mean obviously the Patriots have kind of dismantled a lot of teams in recent years but other than like the Giants but um yeah I mean the AFC has had a particularly dominant pull on a lot of Super Bowls in uh, recent memory I I think it's more due to uh, cycles because what I was going to say is what you say was definitely true uh, in the early days of the merger. Merger happened I mean, in 1970, and then that's why if you look at, uh, I think, seven of the ten Super Bowl winners during the 70s were the AFC. Mm-hmm. And it definitely was a carryover of exactly what you said. The AFC was more of a passing league and more aggressive, you know, more exciting, and the NFL well, was kind of then, the old fuddy-duddy. Well, then the 80s has San Francisco. San Francisco right, and I was going to say, the cycle turned. When you get into the San Francisco, and then for at least one year the Bears, a couple years the Giants, Washington, a couple years, then it was reversed. The Cowboys. The, the Cowboys as well. But there was a span there, I think starting with the 49ers winning, it might have been the 49ers winning, but there was a span where the NFC won 13 straight Super Bowls. During mm. the 80s and early 90s, they won 13 straight. And it included the three cowboy wins in yeah. the 90s. So I think these things kind of go in cycles. And a big part of it is kind of like you say, if you have a big dominant team, like we've had the Patriots these last, God, it's been 20 years now, actually. Yeah. Hard to believe. But the Patriots have been pretty dominant. Uh, but even outside the Patriots, you know, you've had uh, you know, a couple of good teams like, um, you know, the Denver one year, for example. And, and now you saw this past year with you know, Baltimore though they didn't make it but they were dominant won 12 games in a row and then the Chiefs so I think these things go in cycles and yeah. eventually it'll cycle back right now it's in the AFC's favor uh, but that's why I just point out as an observation it just seems that uh, within these last five years in particular uh, at least four of them I, I just feel like the NFC team should have won and just kind of panicked and and didn't get aggressive and then they pulled in their horns and just like I said, it basically just turtled up, you know, and yeah. in the fourth quarter and blew it in each case. Well, everyone was trying to figure out, uh, at one point, was trying to figure out, uh, you know, do I want to say in quotes, who the real winner is of the Super Bowl. And obviously, like, oh, is it the Chiefs? Is it Shakira? Is it... And the one thing people <laughs> one thing people were pointing to is the funniest thing, and the, the winner is Tom Brady in his uh, Hulu ad during the Super Bowl where... <laughs> 
<laughs> where he plays a complete 360, 180 on everybody. And I guess it depends on your point of view. I, I saw some, you know, different websites have different reviews of the commercials. And, and uh, one of the ones I was reading yesterday, that one fairly low. I actually thought it was pretty well done, but... Oh, Lauren, Lauren was having a blast with it when she, we didn't hear it originally because and the girls were watching and they were talking about something oh. and we didn't see it, but then she watched it later and she was, she got a real good kick out of that. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought it was well done. Uh, I mean, you know, I th- it's like any yeah. Super Bowl year, some of the commercials end up being really great, some not so much. But I think, I think my favorite commercial was was the uh, tide making their way into all the commercials. Oh, yeah. And they had Charlie Day going into all yeah. the commercials with a, you know, is this later? You know, the stain. And I love when they finally got him at the end and he got the stain out and he had the, like, jacket mm-hmm. on. She's like, oh, good for you. And, like, got another stain on him. And he's just like, ah! <laughs> You know, I know I'm being too logical, but honest to God, I... When I saw the first of that commercials, I was wondering how some lady whose hands could be so full of muck could touch the guy's shirt like that. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, it was so obvious. I mean, it wasn't like it was a little spot. I mean, her yeah. hand was just full of muck on it, <laughs> and she's patting him on the shoulder. I'm like, you know that you're going to really screw up his shirt big Well, of time. course. But it's just an ad, I guess. <laughs> now, here, let me ask you this question. I, I What I find funny is out of all the stuff Ooh, that happens in the, in the Super Bowl and all the hype surrounding it, from all the articles I've seen, both online and the paper, and people I've talked to, even including your mother, the big, big thing about the whole Super Bowl seems to be um, the blowback over the halftime act. Yeah. You know, people, I've got people on both sides, but just a ton of people are coming out talking about the fact that they really feel that, uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira, that somehow they set women's rights back or something, you know, by giving a sexy halftime show. <laughs> and and it's, you know, inconsistent with the Me Too movement. And somehow there's there's a lot of ne- a lot of blowback, a lot of negativity associated with the halftime act. And, of course, the, and of course there's always somebody saying, well, kids are watching, so you yeah. can't have a sexy halftime act. Of course. But uh, I, I don't know. what what is I have a, an opinion, too. But what, what, what do you think about all this? Um, I know Lauren has been kind of playing defense against the pearl clutchers out there you know trying to trying <laughs> yeah. to complain about it um i mean for, for for one i mean both of our girls were watching and um they thought it was particularly it seemed empowering to see you know shakira playing guitar playing on the drums you know they're both kind of music musical kind of kids so they they really looked at that and they're like oh look at her she's up there she's she's you know, she's dancing on a stage at the Super Bowl, you know, and she's playing instruments. And, you know, they both they both sang wonderfully. They both did a really good job. And uh, when it did come down to, like, the pole dance, the reality is that a lot of it isn't particularly erotic as much as it is just this show of strength. It's a choreographical kind of thing, you know. And, like, she's doing these things and you're like, it just requires so much, like, strength. I mean, people do a lot of exercise classes related to pole dancing it's not supposed to be sexual it's just something that it really tones muscles you know when you do that so the problem is when you see these people and they're like you know kids are watching i mean you're kind of sitting there and you're thinking well i mean the kids aren't sexualizing it it's everybody else that's That's sexualizing it and so i guess the one thing you would say is is that to be fair also just even from their perspective the show they're putting on is not a show that's different than 
a lot of those things that we would consider it being kind of sexualized. I mean, Shakira's from Colombia. I mean, a lot of the things that she's doing, it's just dancing. Like it's, it's literally, that's all it is, is it's just, those are choreographed it's dance moves. It's how they do that. And so like, um, in their outfits they wear, I mean, I mean, JLo had like a full body suit on underneath. I know it looked skimpy, but, but it's a full body suit, you know, so that it's not gonna, you know, you're not gonna have any Janet Jackson style, you know, slip ups or something. But, you know, I think they did, they had good dancing. There was good vocal performances and everything. Um, to be fair, whether it's how they want to dance, how they want to portray themselves or the outfits they want to wear. I mean, it's clearly something that they chose and that makes them feel powerful. And so the the reality is at what point in time is that setting any movements back? I mean, they're literally getting a chance to be power. I mean, if you think that JLo and Shakira didn't call the shots during that halftime show, then you're sorely mistaken if you think some male executive is up there like yeah okay you know uh, why don't you try it with uh, slightly shorter skirts and why don't you I mean they they wore what they wanted to wear and so I mean them having power I think that that should speak to some people I know people want to sexualize it that's just that's just being American I guess you always have to worry about that but I mean I'll tell you you know almost six and seven year old girls they don't know about that and it's not going to change their opinion. They they probably barely even remember that performance, to be honest. But That's why I think it's interesting to hear your response, because you do have the two young girls, you know, five and six. And it's interesting you mentioned, especially at the end, about um, the women calling the shots, because that was my initial response when, you know, people would tell me about, somehow there seems to be, I don't even know where this is coming from, but somehow there seems to be this feeling that there's some men behind the scenes that are, making them do this dancing or something. And I'm like, no, I said, make a mistake. These guys, these women are the ones, they want to do it. Yeah. And they design the moves and they design what they're going to wear and yeah, they're going to do a yeah. pole dance. I mean, that's what they want to do. Yeah. It's up to them. So To be, to be fair, it. there's a man behind the scenes and he's telling them the things that they're not allowed to do well, <laughs> is, the, is the actual <laughs> thing, you know. Or a woman, we don't know. Well, could, could uh, be. there is an executive. If there's any executives involved, they're trying to to doll down the show. And, and you know, I had read an article, and I'm really embarrassed to say I don't have it in front of me, but it was in the Tribune a couple about three days ago, two three days ago, right after the Super Bowl. Well, I'm, I'm going to be too embarrassed that you didn't. Are you talking about an actual newspaper? I'm not embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I read the Tribune. I'm embarrassed that I can't remember the person's name, but it was a female uh, writer. Yeah. columnist, and uh, I thought wrote a tremendous article. Very, it was brief, but right to the point, and and kind of echoed a lot of the thoughts that you had put forth. But kind of con- said that think about it. I mean, if Jennifer Lopez and Shakira, you know, that gives them and who Shakira. Okay, <laughs> sounded a whole lot like you said Shapiro. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a halftime show. That was, that I don't want to see. That was a different uh, Super Bowl. That, that is not a halftime I want to see. But they they just they want to dance and they want to be in those outfits they want to do those dances they want that music you know all that they want the pole. That's great you know if because if to actually empower women or if you want to uh, not demean women but if you want to actually empower them and make them uh, what they can be 
that's what you want to happen. If they want to do that, then that's great. Let them do that. There's other women that want to be scientists. Other women want to be astronauts. We had a woman there who wanted to be a coach who was there for the 49ers and did that. So to me, just because there's seemingly some sexual element to it that we perceive maybe that doesn't mean it's bad or and, and shouldn't do it or it's demeaning yeah. to women or whatever and I guess, all I'm trying well, to say and is don't, just, and don't get me wrong I'm there is a I'm there's a sexual element yeah. to it but I would but I would offer that in no way shape or form is it demeaning no no and that's what I'm saying just be I think we got to get out and this is what I told someone as well is we we got to get out of this mode of thought that just because something has some kind of sexual overtone or that doesn't mean it's demeaning, you know. In fact, it was just last year, and who was it? This Levine guy. Yeah, he had uh, his shirt Adam. off, and Adam Levine, he was dancing with his shirt off and everything. Well, I mean, that wasn't demeaning. No one thought less of him or of men or anything like that. I mean, so if step one, and you talk about the pearl clutching crowd. Well, yeah, and they were saying that that's the, that's the same crowd who is absolutely melting over the Adam Levine performance well, yeah. last last year. We got to get, we have to as a society, we got to break away from this thought that just because something like say has sexual overtones or a theme or whatever that's automatically demeaning to women. It's not, not, not in the slightest. And really what the, and what this author was saying, and I agree, is that what the Me Too movement, it is, the Me Too movement is not saying that women can't um, you know, enjoy sex or be uh, participate in it or, you know, look sexy or whatever. What the Me Too movement is just saying is, you know, we don't want to be raped. You know, we don't yeah. want to mm-hmm. be taken advantage or, or demeaned in, in a way. This, you know, there's a big difference. The, this certainly doesn't fit into those, into those undertones. No. Whatever. We don't want to be demeaned. I don't want to be able to pick my outfit and my dance moves and, and coordinate my whole thing. That's 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 injustice. Yeah. You know, think of it. Think of it this way too. If if some, especially if it was a male, but female either, if somebody came in and was directing the Super Bowl halftime show and and did all those things you just mentioned. Yeah. You can't do this. You can't do that. You got you're you're going to wear the clothes I give you. Blah, blah blah. Well, then there'd be a whole big series of stories about how those women were demeaned because they couldn't control their show. So, so you, yeah, so it doesn't, it looks, as usual in the American public, it starts to feel like there is no right answer. You're, you're going to lose either way. Oh, uh, yeah, there's always going to be. And if it was repressed, then a, then a bunch of people would stop watching the Super Bowl because they'd be like, you know, I didn't tune in to see J-Lo, you know, wear an Amish dress or something, you know, <laughs> and, and perform. That's a bunch of BS, you know, but... You know, I know me and Lauren were talking about it, you know, uh, afterwards when, you know, when she started reading various people's complaints about it. And she was like, you know, if the girls, because you want to tack on to the fact that the majority of it is just dancing. The majority of the performance is just very dancing. But the main thing that they want to tack on to is like the pole, is the pole dancing. And Lauren was like, listen, if the girls, when they're older were like, oh, I'm going to take one of those pole dancing classes, you know, like where it's, you know, fitness related because people just, some people just enjoy it. It's, you know, it's, it's strengthening your muscles. It's kind of fun and it's, you know, in, in everything, you know, so it motivates some people to do it. Plus it's just different, you know, it's just a different than weightlifting and all that. But she's like, if they came up to me and they wanted to do that, I'm not going to say no. So why do I find just somebody on a pole? Why do I find that demeaning? Because I would totally allow my kids to do that if it's like 
you know, it's dancing related or it's, you know, what it's, you know, and Lauren goes, Lauren goes, you know, if they wanted to go, you know, strip for money, then, then we might have to have some more <laughs> talks about some things, you know, but, you know, but it's just the, if they wanted to participate in what she was doing that night, I didn't see anything particularly wrong about it. The, the majority is I remember the girls even just said, well, that doesn't look safe. You know, <laughs> you know, oh, I hope she doesn't fall, you know, or, you know, it's really the only thought they were having, but it's just kind of, even I was watching and I'm just like, I'm like, whoa, like that's, that takes a lot of muscle and, and coordination to kind of, you know, stay, to do something like that, you know, especially even at, you know, 50, it just starts changing and stuff. And basically both of them, as far as I could tell, I mean, it was pretty flawless performances. Yeah. And, I, and honestly, I, I thought vocally they did great. Um, well, I think the last thing I want to talk about, and this is relating to some of uh, basically the 49ers not trusting their quarterback, but uh, some things I'd been hearing around the league is obviously now they're talking about mm-hmm. Tom Brady and Tom Brady's landing spot out of free agency now. Uh, I know for you this isn't a big topic, but... This is a podcast where we're trying to trying to start some fervor, so maybe, you know. Um, so New England put out word that they were willing to pay him $30 million. Right. Um, and then somebody put out there something I hadn't really thought about, which was they're thinking he won't accept it. And if he doesn't accept it, then he looks greedy. Even if they weren't going to offer him that, even if they like eventually claim that they weren't going to offer like behind doors talking to him, they don't offer him 30, but they tell everyone else, oh yeah, I offered him 30, you know, and he turns down their low ball offers, then he looks greedy. But I hear Oakland's trying to jump on it now if he doesn't re-sign uh, with New England. So what I thought was funny was I wanted to go over this list. There's some, there's a list of some teams with um uh, some, in essence, some reason to want to go after him. Um, so number eight, we've got the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, apparently they, he had been, uh, purchased a home. Like we said in the last one, he had purchased a home in Nevada hmm. and now it's become a thing where Oakland's actually, well, Oakland, I say Las Vegas now is actually trying to make a play at him if he doesn't resign with the Patriots. You know, I, t- I, I said in the last podcast and I would still maintain, I, I gotta believe this. 99% chance he's just going to return to New England for a variety of reasons, you know, one being he's been there his whole career and knows the offense back and forwards and you have a chance to win some more championships. Uh, you'd have to learn a whole new system, all new teammates. And he's 42 years old. Uh, it's a little bit hard to start a new at that stage, even if he plays another couple of years or three years as he says he wants to. So I, I think it's very, very remote that he goes to another team, but you just can't rule it out because of kind of what you pointed out. Um, maybe they won't offer him what he wants because I think what he wants is he wants the highest contract in NFL history. That's what he wants, you know, for yeah. a one-year total. And he's been playing the good soldier all these years and accepting less than max contracts compared to his value, so they can stay on the salary cap and remain, you know, get good other players and be competitive. So that's wonderful. But see, the one part where he's not been a good teammate is that anytime they've even thought about drafting his replacement, he gets all upset. And then when they had Garoppolo over there, who was kind of anointed as a successor, he practically ran him out of town. So, (laughs) 
it's been kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde relationship. So you can never say never, but that's what he's after. I mean, he's if after the, you know, the biggest contract one year deal in history before he leaves. To get to your point, if he goes to another team, I think it'll be the Raiders. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, is that they have that long-standing history in in management, and, and the players know this, of of taking all these uh, I don't want to say rejects, but all of these aging, uh, players, sort of aging, talent. yeah, aging talents or people that maybe didn't fit in with other teams. Uh, they're the team that takes in all these guys, and that's why I say if Brady does go to another team, I would say the Raiders would be really high on, assuming they have the money. It would appear they. It would appear they. They probably do. Yeah, I, w- I would think based on their talent, they probably do. So if they have the money, I I, th- I think there's an excellent chance that of all the teams, I haven't heard the rest of the teams on your list, but yeah. I, I, th- I would put the Raiders at the top of the list without even hearing about any other teams because of that long-standing reputation for for taking these players who maybe are are uh, you know changing from other teams late in career. Well, okay, so we've got. Um. Oh no. Oh no. All right. So one of the teams on the list is New England. It's a little further well, down. I, of well, course, I'm going I, back to New, New England. New England would be number one, obviously. But if, if he um, goes somewhere else, I'd, I'd say the Raiders. Well, the only thing they were the only thing that obviously you know he's enjoyed the AFC East lifestyle of being able to cream through all those teams. I mean, Buffalo's getting better now, but obviously the Raiders have a much tougher division. To play through, but but I think oh, I, but I, I think they'd be fine. I don't think that bothers him in the slightest. You know, yeah. he's a competitor, and I I think he would, if anything, if anything, I think he'd warm up to the opportunity to yeah get more competitive games than and, he has now. And they got a good running game and everything. And obviously, Gruden's uh, Gruden's a good coach. I mean, they there's certainly room there to for everybody to kind of succeed. Well, number seven on the list is uh, the Indianapolis Colts. And obviously, you know, kind of talking about, uh, I mean, their quarterback hasn't really played out as much. I mean, Brissett was having some reasonable success middle of the season and everything, but uh, didn't really end the season on too successful of a note. Um, and I, I can only assume that in order to get on this list, you have to have the space to get him. But um, the cap space, yeah. Yeah, you have to have space to financially afford him, I, or, or else you wouldn't be on this list. But well, of course, it's you know any team's a possibility. I, I don't know that I would put them high on my list only because uh, they have a lot of holes to fill. I mean, it's not like Brady's going to go there and instantly they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, they have an awful lot of holes to fill on that team. It's not just and Brissett really isn't that bad. I mean, yeah. But the the team is just not that good. But I, if you're the Colts or some of these other teams, in my opinion, you, you got to draft somebody. You you don't want a 42 or 43 year old guy next year who's only going to be there maybe a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, you want to get a guy who's going to be there at least minimally five, six, seven years uh, to try for some success. And like I said, the exception is these teams that are just, you know, one quarterback away. They're just. To put them, they feel they're just one quarterback away from putting them well, over the top. Super well, Bowl. Well, let me give you a let me give you a team that might be one of those teams. Los Angeles, the Chargers. Especially since it would appear at this point in time, obviously they're kind of parting ways with Philip, uh, with Philip Rivers, hmm. and maybe I mean I would certainly I would trade Brady for for Rivers any day, but uh, it's a team with a lot of offensive weapons, a pretty reasonable defense. Uh, you put a quarterback in the backfield that can manage it a little better. Maybe it 
maybe that changes someone who's known for finishing comebacks as opposed to always being down. Yeah, it's an intriguing team. And I, I, I don't know that I could quite say that if they had Brady that they'd be Super Bowl bound, but they certainly are a team that uh, would would become very good, I would think, if, if Brady still has a lot left in the tank. But one word of clarification, though, you wouldn't need to trade. I mean, Brady's a free agent, so... I just, just, I mean, I just meant trade as in, like, you know, so you if can, I had both of them. No, I know, but you, you, could just, you can just sign them if, if you have the money and... Like I said, do you want to invest that much? Because he's he's probably not going to go on a one-year deal. He's going to want a minimum two-year deal and maybe yeah. three. And you're going to be paying a guy like 30-something million a year. I don't know. You want to take that kind of a risk, even <laughs> for the so-called GOAT? Yeah. I, I don't know. All right. Well, number five is the Patriots. So we've already discussed that. Yeah, that's, they're that number is, one. that's the favorite. I, I um, got it. One one quick thing. I mean, I gotta believe the Patriots. I said ninety nine percent, maybe ninety five percent. You gotta remember, uh, Brady's replacement is not on the roster right now in New England. Well, I think that's his best. That's his best asset to to negotiate. Yeah. Is, so is, is they're probably dead if they don't bring him back. If he leaves, that's it. I mean, you might be able to win <laughs> another East title, but he, now with Buffalo, if, if maybe. He, if he leaves, <laughs> then it's, they're gonna have to bring Brian Hoyer back. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that's it. Especially now with Buffalo improving dramatically, there's no guarantee that they're going to win the division. Even if if Brady's gone, now, I know people will say, "Well, well, twelve years ago when Brady injured his knee, they still won the yeah. won the division." Who's the? Actually, they didn't win the division. They were eleven and four, and they didn't win the division. Yeah, they didn't win the division, but yeah, the, they did very the, well. They were eleven, the, uh, 11 and, no eleven and five. They were sorry. Maybe they'll pick up Mike Glennon, and they'll start Mike Glennon's Super Bowl career with yeah, the Patriots. Mike, Mike Glennon, the the old Bears sixteen million dollar man. <laughs> All right, so number four uh, is in in the division. It's Miami. Miami's got some good defensive or some good offensive weapons, and then they've got a crap ton of uh draft prospects. Yeah, and, and they got a lot of money too. Yeah, it's possible, I guess. Miami certainly be you know, weather-wise be a good place to play and like I say a lot of draft picks, but he could, he could really stick it to New England too for Yeah, that. that's why I say it is a possibility because of that. It still be in the division, he could stick it to New England. I, I think you're right there, but the only thing I would say is I think Miami would probably be in my estimation a little bit hesitant only because you know, you get all these draft picks, but most of them are only going to come like over the next year or two. And normally, other than a running back, I mean, normally it takes at least a minimum of one year to two to really acclimate to the NFL. I don't think Miami. assume that he might be able to get another two years out yeah, of it, or something. That's why. That's why I say it's a possibility. But, and they also, according to, according to, um, I believe this is CBS, CBSSports.com, uh, they, well, they have three first round picks, so not even just their draft being good but three first rounders that can come in and start almost right off the board well they don't but that's the thing though other than um, running backs that usually draft picks don't all start right away but a lot of their skill really they do need a running back and they need that kind of quick but um but they also have the most cap space in the entire nfl heading into the off season. so even if you pay him they've got about I mean, their projected cap space going into this is is ninety three million dollars. Wow. I mean, well, so it's like, funny, you know. You mentioned, well, they need a running back right away. Well, I wonder why they need a running back right away. How'd that happen? Well, you you trade away Kenyon Drake, and obviously yeah. at the end of the day, K- 
Ken, well, Kenyon Drake's career you in Arizona away, is interesting. You gave away your best running back by far for a song, relatively speaking, and then he breaks out pretty much at Arizona. Well, he's, I mean, he's been having, yeah, I mean, he's had some really good games over there, but, I, you know, you just, if if it wasn't working as well, I mean, he... he, he he's a good running back. He I, is. He was never given the opportunity at yeah. Miami. Well, that's true. They kept sharing his duties with two or three other backs who were nowhere near as good, and all the pundits knew it, and everybody, everybody except the coaching staff on Miami knew it, and then they traded him away, and, and I, I now also they're for, desperate for a running back. I also forgot Brian Flores was a defensive coordinator in New England, and he's now the head coach of Miami. Hmm. So Brady and him are kind of familiar. Yeah. Um, I think, I, like I said, I don't, I don't mean to demean that. I think it's quite possible, and you make a good point. Yeah. He wants to stick it back to New England. And like I said, the weather is great. The team on the rise, no question about it. It's a possibility. I, I just don't think it's a slam dunk, only because I think it's going to take a minimum of one to two years before yeah. these draft picks really kind of slide in and, and become good. And, of course, you know, you have some misfires, too. And this is yeah. especially true if you're the Bears. Yeah, yeah, it's but a little, a it's a little more true when you're the Bears. You don't necessarily get a pick and, and they pan out. They don't all pan out. Well, okay, so... This one they have it so likely, but it's only it's only likely if they don't re-sign their current quarterback, and that's the Titans is on the mm. list, and that's only it's really only they're only an option obviously if they don't re-sign Tannehill because yeah. he's a free agent. Um, I don't see that happening. I no. see them paying him to come back, just because of how much they, he turned him around. You know, they'd be willing to give him yeah. another chance at least for another couple of years, probably. Oh, absolutely. It's it's kind of one of those things where. Other things being equal, yeah, you're not going to say Tannehill's as good a quarterback as Brady, but he seems to fit in really well in their system over there. And everybody knows him, feels comfortable with him, and he did really well. You know, why, you know, why change? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really just if, you know, if you want to take him out, and obviously Mike Vrabel has a good relationship with Brady. Um, and, And they definitely, as you were saying, you know, a team that's only a little away. You know, and if you didn't bring, if you if you knew, I can't see they wouldn't they wouldn't um, not sign Tannehill without knowing for sure you had Brady right to right. back it up. Obviously, yeah, um, I, to your point, yeah. If they don't sign Tannehill, then actually I think it would be a, a big probability that Brady might go there. But I think they would really try to sign Tannehill, and he's more he's a much younger quarterback. I think he'd have a much longer future over there. So this one makes me laugh. Just because I like I like the the drama of this one, <laughs> uh, San Francisco, yeah, and that obviously being that one obviously only makes sense on the level of that it gives I think it lends the most to Brady of what he would want just because it's a childhood fan a fandom of his growing up in that area and he was a huge San Francisco fan he idolized Joe Montana. And uh, is a big hero of his, so obviously that area means a lot to him. And being being a part of being a quarterback on that team would be huge. But also because I just like the thought of him going into the San Francisco locker room after they lose a Super Bowl, and now they go they start the next year, and now Jimmy Garoppolo has to deal with him again. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, the or thought about, of him not being able to escape Brady just makes well, me laugh. Or, or how about if they brought Brady over to San Francisco and then... Shipped him back to New they, England. Yeah, they shipped uh, Garoppolo back to New England. How would that be, <laughs> huh? Incredible. Well, that'd be, a, that'd be a good deal probably for both teams, to be honest. 
I I don't. I it's mean, a good. It's a better deal for New England if they got Jimmy G back. In return, well, because but, of what you say about Brady's, you know, that's his childhood team. I mean, it sounds uh, like it's a distinct possibility. But I, I think and I don't have it in front of me. So, but I think Garoppolo still has at least a couple of years or more yeah. left on his contract, and it's a big one. So unless they're able to ship him somewhere, I would think it'd be pretty unlikely they're going to bring Brady yeah. over there. This one I love. Um, I think this fits the only a quarterback away. Tampa Bay. Hmm. I find that as an interesting uh, solution because they do have a lot of their weapons now. You have, an, you have really good wide receivers. You've got good tight end play. You've got some runners over there that you can maybe shift some stuff around. You've got a pretty, what looks like a pretty decent amount of cap space. And um, if you get a quarterback in there who doesn't, you know, throw quite as many interceptions and everything. Uh, it still puts you in Florida, which is, you know, some better weather if they're trying to do something more for the family, more for you know, his wife and everything. Um, I mean, and, and they are a good team within their within their division. It's just, you know, you start to think maybe, I mean, I, get, I don't think there's any anybody in the world who would tell you that Jameis is better than than Tom Brady. No, but you know, I, I mean, obviously, he has youth on his side and time. Yeah, but he's much younger. I, the other thing I would say, I, I think a big part of that is how much is it going to cost to sign Jameis Winston? Yes, if he's going to want thirty million plus, well, look out. But the other thing I would say about that, though, is that uh, a couple things. One is, is the Tampa Bay defense, the pass defense, is horrendous. I mean, it's historically bad, and there's a lot to fix on the pass defense. So to me, they're farther away maybe than you think. As far uh, adding, as adding, for, adding Brady yeah. is that because the problem. Think about it. If you look at the stats, the problem with Tampa Bay last year was not that they weren't scoring points. So they even, gave up a lot of. Yeah, points. they gave up a lot. I mean, even and Winston with, is constantly having to dig them out by yeah, throwing so much. Exactly, and and the run game really is not that good. Yeah. Uh, there's some promise there. They have that Ronald Jones. We'll have to see how he develops. You know, Peyton Barber probably kind of you know middling yeah. back, but the running game really is not good. Um, the blocking is not good on the offensive line for the run game, and the runners are are not that great. But really, even with Winston's interceptions and all that, that's bad. But yeah, but even with all that, they were scoring a bunch of points. Yeah. But the defense was was horrible, particularly the pass defense. Run defense was good, pass defense was it's just historically bad. Yeah, well, I think my favorites on there. I mean, if you if you're telling me I can't pick New England, you know, if that is not a location, you know, they do some they play some mind games and Brady ends up leaving. Uh, my favorite ones on there are definitely going to be Vegas. I'm thinking Raiders, Chargers, and uh, Miami. I think yeah. those are my three favorite. Of the eight, I, I would the, totally with Oakland, agree with you. I mean, Oakland being the ones who are clearly trying to get him, so obviously they would be a favorite if New England. This all being said, if New England doesn't doesn't just pay him his money and get him back for another year, but any one of those three, I could see pulling him. I mean, Miami with the, having the cap space and draft picks, uh, L.A. having good weather and having a lot of talent. And being kind of close to playoff ready, you know, maybe with some more, with some better decision making from Brady. Um, yeah. And then uh, obviously Oakland, if they're really trying to get him and they've got a real tough running game. Yeah, Vegas. Uh, yeah, Vegas. Sorry. Yeah, I, I totally 100% agree with you. And like I said, I would put Vegas at the top only yeah. because of the, they're an institution for doing that. And like you said, they actively 
they have no qualms taking a guy in, even if he's only going to be there two years. They don't care. Yeah. You know, they're willing to throw caution in the wind. But like I say, I, I, it's hard to imagine who who is New England going to get that's going to replace Brady because uh, they got to get somebody. Yeah, who's going to be Minshew. pretty good? Gardner Minshew's guy. I actually think I actually like Gardner Minshew in New England if he was going to go there. Well, I don't think Gardner Minshew's going to go anywhere. Last I heard, they're trying to trade Foles. They want to keep the well, Jaguars. Good, gonna, well, good luck. Minshew. Good good luck trading that contract. Well. I'll tell you, one of the things that I was hearing about on the radio is a possibility is that they may, may trade him to the Bears, which would be kind of incredible. Now, I they mean, would have, I, I mean, they'd I'd have be to willing, cover part of his salary. Yeah. I mean, I'd they be willing, would eat I'd, part of his salary. I'd be willing to take a shot on it. I mean, there are there are Foles times where he's played well. And I honestly, I think with some of the Bears' talent surrounding him, I mean, the Jaguars have a couple good players and stuff, but they are kind of a gutted institution. You know, well, the, bear, the, the Bears tend to have a little more skill well, around them. Yeah, but. I mean, the, the people on the radio, the sports uh, broadcasters on the radio, were really sky high on the idea. I mean, it's like, well, you know, I think we're I think we're a little depraved right now. I think we'll kind of we'll take any bit of rays <laughs> of hope that we can. I mean, because we're assuming they're going to do nothing. You know, you assume they're going to do nothing over the off season, and they're not going to pursue anybody. You know, so honestly, you hear a name like Foles, and you go, oh, you know, maybe. You know, crossing our fingers, you know, maybe they'll do something, you know. Well, they were speculating, and they're not wrong, I think, but they were speculating that if they had picked up somebody like a Foles, ostensibly as a backup, yeah, they, they could not clearly admit their mistake, you know, with Trubisky picking him, and then, and maybe Trubisky even would start, but obviously he'd play his way out of the lineup shortly, and then they bring in Foles. <laughs> And hopefully he would play well, and that would be a way to kind of ease out Trubisky without, you know. I love, know, I love the way that you don't, you don't, you don't speak of it as an if that he'd play out of his <laughs> situation. It's just they're going to institute him as a backup, and then in in two games when Trubisky <laughs> fails, then they'll then they'll just bring him in, and we'll go from there. I mean, I'm I'm not against it, although I mean, obviously, I really wanted to see Gardner Minshew become a bear. Um. Well, you know, and I'm saying but, that I'm but, not but, saying but the Bears are your one player away necessarily, was... but keep in mind it was only a year before last. I mean, the Bears had like a historic defense. Yeah. And if you had a a really good quarterback, and and Foles been up and down, don't get me wrong, but if you had a really good quarterback, uh, you might have been able to advance in the playoffs rather than get eliminated in the first round. Yeah. I mean, play calling would probably help too. That tends to be yeah. kind of the the killer for them. Um, but who's New England going to get? See, and that's the thing when you talk about Brady going all these different places. Uh, New England's well, got to come up with somebody who's going to be pretty darn good. Not going to be a goat, but it's going to be. Well, I wonder if I wonder if your your one of your guess is obviously there's there's a lot of other free agents on the market, and maybe they try and pull one of them in instead. You know, you could pull a Ryan Tannehill to New England, or you could try and get a. Uh, you could pull Jameis over there if you yeah. really wanted it. That's that's what would have to happen. Yeah, you're, um, you're right. You'd have to flip somebody else's quarterback who's the starter or, now, and then maybe maybe try and get them, and then also draft. Try and see if you can get something in the draft um, to back him up if needed, and then maybe that person becomes your new Brady when he eventually fills in. If well, one of those quarterbacks doesn't get you to the well, point just that saying, you want to be, I'm at. just saying, who are they going to get if you're talking about letting Brady go now immediately? You know, it's going to be one of those kind of characters, I assume. Well, maybe they can they can have Trubisky when we're when we're done with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm once sure. once Foles takes over after the two <laughs> after the two games, they can trade Trubisky to New England. 
Well, the other thing I would say is that I don't know how popular, I mean, this may sound silly, but I mean, I don't know how popular Brady is in New England. And when, by that, I mean, obviously he's loved, but what I mean is, is how untouchable is he at this stage of his career? Because now I'll give you a quick example. Okay? I mean, they were booing him in one of those last playoff games or whatever. Well, they were like, they were booing at him and. And that's just temp- that's just a temporary, you know, frustration. That, but I'll give you a really quick example. Like, and there's there's other examples as well. But but the key in Chicago here, in the '90s, you know, we had Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Well, if you had tried to you know, trade Michael Jordan, and I don't care who you would get, but if you tried yeah. to trade him, or if you didn't pay him, uh, that's how he got this thirty-six million dollar one-year yeah. deal. Uh, but. It, uh, it was a non-issue. You, if you're the owner, you had a gun in your head. You had to do it. Well, you know, wonder, fans well, are run you out of town on a rail. Well, I think what they're trying to do right now is that's what they're trying to do by announcing, announcing in quotes what they're willing to offer him. Is they're sitting there and they're offering him a salary that high, even if they're not really offering him that, they can say they did. And if Brady were to turn that down, I, I bet immediately he becomes touchable. Well, the minute he does but, that, just because say, of the loyalty, the sudden loyalty break. Well, yeah, but think know. of this though. I mean, what does I think Roger Aaron Rodgers? I think has the highest. What's he making? Thirty-five million. I don't know what it is. I think he's around there, thirty-four million, thirty-five, something up this way up there. But I wouldn't well, expect Bra- that. For well, Brady, a Brady wants. Production. That's what he wants. So they may offer him thirty million, and let's say he says, "Hey, screw you," and he leaves. I bet are, he becomes. Are the fans t- going to be up I bet, in arms? I bet he becomes touchable the minute he turns down a thirty million dollar contract. Yeah, that, that's why I bring it up. I'd be in, and I think you're probably right, or you may be right, but I just want to be interesting to see what happens there. What's the dynamics there? Because different cities and different players are all different. I mean, yeah. there there are very few people who are truly untradeable or untouchable. Because, but but yeah. there are some like a Michael Jordan that truly are. And the fans will literally boycott you, and they'll badmouth you every day of the year from getting rid of somebody. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, if he if he decides not to come back for a pretty reasonable salary, I assume Boston's going to be pretty wickedly pissed, <laughs> you know. So the reality is, though, I mean, if you're doing all this, I hope you've in the background that you're planning, you're planning who this other quarterback's going to be, you know. Because you will, then you will get criticized if you let Brady go and you've got nothing sitting, you know, you've got no other transfer offers. Now, granted, I got to say, the one thing I've always wanted to see is I've always wanted to see Baker Mayfield. I said he should, he, he'll end up on the Patriots someday and then he'll be really great on the Patriots once he has the rest of the weapons around him and Belichick to coach him. But um, there's plenty of those guys who you can lure you know, with New England's success rate, you can lure them over yeah, but, there. But you know, you mentioned Baker Mayfield, and this is true of other quarterbacks. In this day and age, you know, based on you saw it happen last year, does New England offense really have that many great weapons though anymore? They certainly did in days of yore. Well, it was great until they decided, until they decided that Josh Gordon was expendable, and they had to, and they and for, and they got rid of Antonio Brown too. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of had little choice, I think, because Antonio yeah. Brown's I mean, actions. But well, Dorsett, if Dorsett can't be your leading wide receiver anymore, yeah, you know, I say they've got like N. Keel Harry, and they've got one or two other young guys yeah. there. But, but if you're Baker Mayfield or anybody else going to New England as quarterback, I don't, I don't know that you can really assume that you've got this great offense. 
Well, I mean, and you still you still have you still have Michelle. You're Michelle. You still have Michelle. I I, I yeah, get, Michelle. You have James White, who I actually like more. Yeah, James White is pretty good, especially as a receiver. But um, I think Michelle, Michelle, I thought was very disappointing last year. Yeah. To me, he he looked like just an average running back last year. Which yeah, that's kind of a stunner. I, I think the big loss, and I think I think it was way down, way bigger than anybody ever thought, was the loss of Gronkowski. Yeah, was just huge. And they made no effort to replace him, really. Not not that he's easy to replace, probably a Hall but, of Famer, but yeah. But but you you feel like it's just literally the tight end position just kind of yeah, disappears. Yeah, it just, yeah, in it just New vanished. <laughs> it just vanished. But I mean, yeah, that, I mean that's the killer. And when you don't have any of those kind of threats or any of those points to your game, I mean, it's going to suffer, especially if your running game can't pick up for it. But I just feel like it's still one of those teams that you can you can lure people over there. You have a little more pull to lure people over there. Now, granted, it's, you know, speaking from Chicago, where I feel like if someone starts talking about trading you to Chicago, you should start playing whatever way is going to make you not go to Chicago. You know, oh, God, you you were serious? Oh, I'll play to win. I'll play harder. I'll do anything. <laughs> don't don't let yeah. me, don't make me go. You know, but, you know, I can imagine how much in terror Newt, Cam Newton was when they were really seriously considering whether or not he was going to end up in <laughs> Chicago or not. But, um, you know, it's uh, either way. I mean, they, they might be not great for a year if he's not there. And to be fair, even if he's there, they might not be good. They might not be all that good next year. I mean, they lost. They lost to Miami playing hard at the end of the season, you know, yeah. last year, and it's just like uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of variance. I there. mean, last last year, ever to be perfectly honest, I mean, New England won the division. They won as many games as they did because of their defense. They really had nothing to do with yeah. their offense. I mean, for for the first time in many years, the offense I thought was was you know below average actually, and you saw it. They lost now. They lost to Miami, and it was really the defense kind of let them down last quarter, but. The offense was not only bad, but then the offense was bad in the playoff game. Yeah. And they got eliminated in the first playoff game they played, and it was really the offense. Well, my last thought there is basically, basically based on some of Miami's performances last year, I'd, I'd probably even take Fitzpatrick over. <laughs> Richard Bisky right now, I'd be willing to experiment yeah. with that. Because that, that, that man can still sling. He can run, too. You know, he's had so many ups and downs. Uh, he'll have a few couple of good games and a couple of horrible games and a few good games. And he did parlay that into a big money contract a few years back. So, I don't know. I, and he's getting up there in years now, too. Yeah, I no, think I mean, he's I, in his mid-30s now. I, I mainly say that I'd just be willing to experiment with it would be would be my main thing here. But he did put some good stretches of games through Miami last year. Well, I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that it's – to me, and it was not for a whole season, but it was like three quarters of a season. Uh, it may have been his best season ever, you yeah. know, especially given the talent around him and so yeah. forth. I mean, he and he was totally enthusiastic. I mean, he was running and getting hammered, you know, and trying to get touchdowns on the ground. And yeah, it may have been his best season ever, actually, last year. Yeah, I mean, he certainly. I, I think every once in a while he benefited from people going into Miami and kind of, you know writing them off as a as a win-win and then you walk in and you go nope nope that's a guy in his mid-30s who's trying to play for an you know hell he might be playing for a new contract you know or something you know now that first that first four or five games of the year uh no kidding i miami looked like the worst team that ever took the field i mean they yeah. were just getting blown out by everybody yeah and then the minute he started 
you know, all of a sudden they became competitive and then yeah. they start winning some games and uh, I mean it's like honestly the rest of the season you're sitting there and you're honestly wondering they're you know they're talking about getting Tua and everything and you're like <laughs> are they gonna sign are they gonna sign Fitzpatrick to a couple years you know to start there like based on how he was playing I mean it's just it was insane you know and now I'm looking at that and I'm thinking you know they're probably in a good position there if you've got him starting and you can bring in a draft person, you know, you can bring in a rookie behind him to kind of learn. It seems like maybe he might be a good person to learn from at this point, you know, the kind of toughness and the kind of, you know, mental game that he can play, you know, mixed with obviously his own skills to. Yeah. When you pick a first round, uh, even a second rounder, but you pick a first round quarterback in this day and age, they don't, you know, sit him on the bench like Aaron, Aaron Rodgers sat with on the bench for three years behind fire. They don't do that anymore. But yeah. but you're right. They they do sit him down for generally minimally a half a year and sometimes a whole year. Yeah. And you're right. It's good to have you know somebody who can kind of show them the ropes. They don't have to get thrown in the fire uh, right away. And um, but it's yeah. I mean, it's nice. To, it's nice to have to. I liked watching it. They they became kind of my underdog team to watch you know you'd start watching them in games and you know you know go get them you know kind of thing you know whenever teams would play Miami and underestimate them and get stuck in the pit or some of those games that they really should have lost and they somehow turned them around but yeah but it's gonna be an interesting uh you know the 2020 2021 season is gonna be something interesting to behold see how some of these pieces fall but i i'm just hoping one thing i'm hoping we do not get a player strike yeah because their deal is up and they're gonna be negotiating but and now i hear they're actually talking about talking about a 17 game season now yeah, because the contract's up. Now's the time to bring it up. And I, although although I also heard that in 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 response to that, the players' union was talking about um, that that they might actually be lifting um, punishments on marijuana offenses, hmm. on a you know possible marijuana use and everything because it's becoming legal. Yeah, so many places that they're starting to kind of yeah. squash the punishments on it. Yeah, I, I you which know, I'm behind. I mean, that's, yeah, I am um, too. I don't really care that much if you know, because marijuana is kind of like if it affects. I mean, if it affects your play, if it's going to affect your play, you're going to get cut anyway. Yeah. It, yeah. So the reality is, if it's just if you're just using it as pain management or for other, you know, issues, but it doesn't really affect your kind of play, then I mean, who cares? Yeah. It's not making you better. That's for sure. It's definitely not making you better at football. You know. Makes you no, stronger no, no, no. or faster no, no. or anything. But I'm I mean, saying, even if they're using it recreationally, yeah, uh, as long as it's not interfering with their training or the games or something, if they're using it like they would alcohol, you know, responsibly, yeah, then it's okay. You can get away with it, in my, in my opinion. But not now's the time to get all this stuff out of the woodwork when you're, you're renegotiating a deal. But I'm just concerned because we have had some strikes, not recently, because the last contract was real long. Yeah. But we have had strikes. You go back in the 80s and 90s, we've had some strikes. Is that the one where the all the scab teams <laughs> played or whatever? Was it San Diego? Was it the San Diego Chargers when they made a huge run during that strike that was, here with their replacement players? It was 1987, yeah. <laughs> the 1987, they actually brought in strike breakers. And uh, <laughs> one of the strike breakers was a quarterback in the Bears, Sean Payton. You remember him? Hmm. Uh, he's a coach in New, yeah. New Orleans, uh, but he was a, he was a quarterback on the Bears uh, as a scab, and uh, 
<laughs> did he last longer than being a scab? I I honestly don't know. I I don't I don't know if he did. Cemented or not. his NFL reputation by breaking a strike. Eventually. The Bears, but here what happened is they had a a strike, and I think they took uh, my memory might be a little bit off. I think they took like a week off where they were recruiting scabs, you know, players to come in. Yeah. And then they actually played three games, and then the the regular players ended their strike, you know, and they came back kind of hat in hand. I mean, the players definitely lost that strike. Yeah. Because uh, they did come back. I think there might have been another week off. So okay. I, think I, think, I think it's a sad part about some of that is that the reality is that you get a culture that's so strongly built on watching football that I'll be honest with you, whoever's playing that game on Sunday, like as long as it counts, I'm going to watch it. And the problem is, at times, it's going to make the players a lot less powerful. But, but I think if that's if if your trade off is like, okay, I'll play seventeen games, but take away punishments for marijuana use and stuff, you know, I mean, if you can start making some trade offs like that, and that's yeah. something the players can live with, then I mean, that's well, you got to remember it's too. Fine. You got to remember too, though, there are some positives. So let's say they play a seventeenth game. Well, they they'll, might cut a preseason they'll, they'll game cut, or something. Yeah, they'll cut. They'll cut a minimum of one preseason game and maybe two to to get that extra game. And the other thing, too, is if they go to a 17-game schedule, you will get an extra buy. It'll be two buys instead yeah. of one. Yeah. So that'll help the players a little bit, you know, resting up. Now, I, I, you know, you can debate to the end of the world. I mean, should they be playing that many games? I mean, I don't know. Is one game going to make that big a difference? You know, it's I, just for I, revenue purposes, really, yeah, for it's them. It's all for I money. Mean. Yeah, absolutely. It's all for money. But you really create a 17-game season, though, creates a little bit of a logistical nightmare from the standpoint that you no longer can have the same number of home and away games. Yeah. This would be the only league that I've ever heard of in history that plays an odd number of games during the year. I wonder if they're trying to build that in to play more of a neutral game for a lot more teams. Um, You know, where you're like, well, I get eight home, eight away, and I'm playing one in London or something, you know. Well, you're right, and that that is what they're talking I play about. One in Mexico or something, so it's a neutral game. Yeah, that's what they're talking about. Is that one of the games would have to be a a, a neutral, a neutral site? So we'll which see. What see which seems to work pretty well for them. I mean, the Mexico attendance games at times have been the highest attended football games, and you know, in well, the then world. Last time, though, if I recall, then they have a trouble with the stadium. And they ended up canceling it anyway and having to play in the U.S. If I recall. Players are complaining was about that the, the conditions. Oh, was that the, the stadium? The conditions? Charger game or whatever that was that this year? In the Chargers, yeah, no, I or did they actually year. play in Mexico? I thought it was this past year. I could be wrong. Well, then the London games tend to work pretty well. Yeah, the London games were fine. I think it's getting, it's getting kind of strong out there. I know the Jaguars were even talking about, you know, possibly wanting them because the, they they they're like the only team that ever actually asks to play there, and like a. I know that they've been talked as a, if they wanted to put a team there, they're like, oh, we could, you know, we could make fans out there because they've seen us so much, you know. Well, they um, talked about playing a second game even over there. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe maybe someday, who knows, maybe they'll play half their home games there. Or like if they even had a team in London, you know. But uh, It would be a logistical I'd, nightmare. Yeah, it but, would be. Well, once they were talking, uh, Green Bay is the only team that hasn't played like a... I don't know if they were just saying it hasn't played in London or hasn't played a game outside of the United States. I think it just hasn't played a London game. But yeah, it's they, be, but it's yeah. because they're privately owned and they don't their season tickets are like sold out for like you know several several years and everything so they can't actually plan. They can't give up any home games. 
I guess it was funny because like Rogers was like, I'd love to play one, but we don't want to, the fans don't want us to give up a home game and any team that has us as an away game doesn't want to not sell those tickets. Uh, you know, yeah, that could be true. Cause I was going to say the same thing. I mean, you can play in London you can just be the away team. That's all. Oh yeah. And that's the thing is they go, but, but if you're a team that has Aaron Rodgers and green Bay coming in, you want that. That's going to draw people to your game. You know, that's not the reason I want my games to draw is because my opponent is more popular than me, but whatever it takes for some teams, you know. I guess maybe that explains why the Bears are played so frequently in London. <laughs> Nobody wants to see them. Well, they were saying in the 80s they played a game, I think it was in London, and it was them in um, Dallas. Yeah. And I guess that game had McMahon and... Uh, Peyton and yeah, I don't remember what that. year that was, but I vaguely remember that. I think it was '87 or something. I think Could I had it. heard, Could and obviously it. I still had Dorset. I think was on the Cowboys, so maybe it was earlier. Well, I'd have to be earlier then, because Dorset was a was a power like in the early '80s, you know, late '70s, early '80s. So I think yeah, I think it was early '80s. I think it was like '83 or something yeah, like that. '87 was a different game they had, but I guess like there was like it was a big deal because like Cubs fans, Chicago carries with the history of the league. So people were really excited to see that. And then obviously America's team, you know, playing overseas. So it carries a good amount of weight. But it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, sticking with the fact that it's going to be a very interesting season. We'll see if they end up carrying more games and how that affects the teams going forward. I mean, the double bye week is particularly helpful for that. But but it's going to be exciting to see, and we'll see uh, who can... Who can who can climb you know yeah. the rat race and see who can climb their way back up to the the top of the sport next year. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Just a final point. You mentioned the double bye week is the gift that keeps giving because let's say you go from a sixteen game season to a seventeen game season, but you had a bye week. Well, in terms of what the NFL cares about, you've really added two weeks to the regular season, <laughs> right? Because yeah. right now it's Two really... Two weeks of actual TV time as far, and games. Yeah, as far as the NFL just cares about TV, and, and, and it's a 17-week season really right now. So they'll go to a 19-week season if they just add the one game. So that's why I think they're pushing so hard for that one game. It'd be a pretty significant revenue yeah. increase. Even if you had to cut out a preseason game, big deal. Yeah, less people are going to watch that. And less people are going to go to those. So I'm assuming it's not as much of a pull as yeah. a regular game. The thing is, let's say they sell out. Like the Bears are probably going to sell out even on a preseason game. For them. Well, a lot of teams do. But the TV, uh, people watching TV is, is negligible. And plus, know? obviously, I imagine if you're, trying to to sell, if you're trying to sell ad space no, that's for a I mean. preseason game versus a regular season game, I'm sure it's different, quite yeah, a bit because, different. You know, football is the one sport where the overwhelming percentage of revenue is from TV as opposed to people in the stadium. Yeah. And the TV revenue for a preseason game is trivial compared to a regular season game. It, it's not insignificant, but it's it's relatively small compared to that. Yeah. All right, well, uh, come on, Bears. Uh, go out there and go out there and get somebody, please, just, <laughs> just to show us you're listening. Um, get somebody. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to uh, to episode eight here, Super Bowl post Super Bowl edition. I should say I can't say Super Bowl edition because I think that was episode seven. Um, hopefully, we can get the uh, the the three man team back together shortly here for uh, some more episodes, and we can get uh get some March Madness going in. Actually, that might be a better one. Uh, more in a 
Bart's wheelhouse. I don't know how college oriented he is, but I know he enjoys a good, a good, uh, uh, good bracket. Yeah, a good bracket play. Um, but uh, but yeah, but I'd like to thank everyone for listening. We're on Facebook under Surviving the Ground. Um, we're on Twitter under the STG Podcast, and we're on Spotify and uh, Apple Play. Um, or Apple Podcasts under Surviving the Ground. Um, I don't know why you would need to know where we are to listen, because in order to hear this, you'd have to be listening. But I might as well include it anyway. <laughs> maybe I should just maybe I should just give people the Facebook and the Twitter, just because they're already listening to it on some outlet. Um, but I appreciate you dealing with us. Me, me, probably more exclusively but you gotta uh, you gotta you gotta say this i I remind me the old in the olden days you would be watching tv so say you're watching channel nine for example mm -hmm. and in between shows they'd always have a little like 10 second spot this is wgn tv channel nine you know or they would do it for channel two or five (laughs) i'm like no kidding you know (laughs) we know it's channel nine it's like so you just you're just building on this this nice foundation that has been yeah. part of broadcast history for decades. That's true. I, I appreciate that. Um, I'd like to thank my co-host, uh, my father Joe Dante, for coming out. Uh, it was a good a good talk uh, and and doing my taxes. <laughs> Remember to do your taxes and do them early. Um. So yeah, and uh, hopefully within the next uh, couple weeks here, we'll have something else big to. To bring about, I mean, obviously the football games are done, but we'll we're not done coming at you. We'll uh, we'll, we'll find something. something. That was scary. <laughs> we almost said the exact same thing. The same. <laughs> oh, right. apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Okay, they say that's true. Um, but yeah, everyone be safe, stay out of trouble, uh, or at least as much trouble as you can avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. Go, uh, go, Mayor Pete. He, I heard he just won Iowa. Uh, he won the Iowa caucus. Well, we'll find out one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> if they, if they, yeah. Well, now they want to do a recount, but I'm, but, but I, I <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll either talk about that or never talk about that again, depending on how important <laughs> it becomes. But yeah, everybody, uh, have a good night, good evening, good day, good morning, whatever, whenever you guys are listening to this. Goodbye, everybody.